Welcome to the Retail Media Insights podcast series, where we will take a deep dive into the fast-changing retail media ecosystem. Together, we will delve into new technologies, innovative strategies, and essential mental models that will make us smarter about this space. We will hear perspectives from retail ad tech companies, retail media networks, and advertisers. I'm your host, Keshav, and you can follow my perspectives on retail media through my Retail Media Insights newsletter. My guest for this episode is Tim Abraham. Tim is the Senior Director of Data Partnerships at the Trade Desk and is responsible for leading channel partnerships and alliances with retail data and measurement providers across the EMEA region. Before joining the Trade Desk, Tim was Director of Strategic Growth at LiveRamp where he launched the Safe Haven platform in the EU and was instrumental in growing the market. Tim has over 15 years of experience and has held a variety of leadership roles at Amazon, AdBrain, Group M, and AOL. In this episode, we discuss questions such as how much of the Trade Desk's foray into retail data partnerships was due to deprecation of cookies? What are the differences in data partnerships with the Trade Desk versus with data clean rooms? What are the technical and commercial choices for retail media companies to monetize off-site media? What are the capabilities and impact for advertisers when it comes to using retail data? And a lot more. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Lovely having you. You... You have been in the data partnership space within the ads business for some time. You actually moved from taking care of data partnerships at LiveRamp to taking care of data partnerships at Trade Desk. Very curious, what led you to that move? Yeah, so it's. I should preface the answer to that question, which is, I've only I've only ever really worked in ad tech and digital media, so. Since I finished my master's an undisclosed number of years ago, I haven't really done anything else. So I haven't strayed far, is the first thing. Um, why the move? So I should actually first say LiveRamp was a fantastic place to work. It's a great business. I have a lot of respect for what they're doing. I was working on launching their global safe haven product, which has now become a bit of a flagship product for them. So I was super happy there. But really, I was just moving to get a bit closer to the data activation. So LiveRamp is really around data preparation, but they're not running campaigns. So that was mainly the reason. You said you've stayed in ad tech for the longest time. You haven't strayed. How did that work? Because I've seen a lot of people, including myself in early years, not quite knowing exactly what they want to do. So they end up through a path of discovery. How about you? Was it coincidence? Yeah, I'd like to claim it was prescience of my 23 year old behalf I actually interviewed for a bunch of kind of finance roles and I realized in the process of doing the interviews I didn't really even know what the job was I was applying for so kind of landed by accident in ad tech but ad.com or which became part of AOL and then this industry changes so much so much variety and opportunity that I've never really felt the need to to go anywhere else we also tend to get free lunch in ad tech for anyone listening on the call who wants to consider a move right so accident to join but seems like lots of benefits in it to stay absolutely <laughs> fantastic trade desk is quite big it's known for its demand side platform where it enables advertisers to run marketing campaigns on the entire open internet but over the last few years 
anyone who's been following Trade Desk has been seeing a new trend of partnerships with retailers for their first-party data to build your data activation solution. Presumably, these partnerships have been triggered by the news and ongoing implementation of cookie deprecation. Why didn't these partnerships happen before the news of cookie deprecation? Presumably, targeting based on first-party transaction is a lot stronger than signals communicated by third-party cookies. Yeah, cookie deprecation. Maybe I'd rephrase that as kind of changes in the identity ecosystem have definitely been a catalyst. Just backing up, when we talk about the kind of retail data that Trade Desk is surfacing and making available, just to clarify, I think often people think of retail data as just being for targeting. So for sure, that is hugely valuable, right? So I can use retail data to reach people based on real transactions. Um, Additionally, though, retail data is also used for optimization and measurement. And I think often we overlook that. So instead of optimizing towards a click-through rate, which still happens, I can optimize actually towards the fact that somebody has bought my product in a store. So that, with that in mind, as you mentioned the identity piece, there are a couple of other things. So firstly, if you look at what's happening in the US with the Department of Justice and scrutiny of wall gardens, I think that that has opened people's eyes a little bit to what is the impact of those businesses being dominant in the space. And frankly, I think retailers have realized that the data they hold is hugely valuable and very differentiated to what wall gardens have access to. And I would argue more powerful in many ways, right? So if I'm a Walmart or a Tesco or a Sainsbury's or a Schwartz um, or a big basket, that data I have about what people are buying is as valuable as what people see around search and social behavior. So I think there's a recognition that we need to do, or retailers can do more to protect the open internet by making that data more usable. Then I think a couple of other things. So as consumers, we consume media across more channels. And some of those channels don't have cookies and never have, right? So we see a huge growth of CTV. It's a massive area for for trade desk, switching from linear TV where you're not using data to decision anything into CTV, connected TV, where you can actually use data to decide which ads to show. So the nice thing about retail data is it's nearly always connected back to an email address. And that means that data can be used across multiple channels. So retail data is growing to some extent, as you mentioned, because it's a, it's a data set which can be used without a cookie and across different channels. Um, and then just very quickly, like a couple of other things. Uh, we hear from brands that they are now making decisions. Do I pass through an extra 10% of cost to a consumer on my shampoo, or do I save some money in my media budget? And clearly, the preference for most brands and most advertisers is to be more efficient with media. And as we touched on, retail data really helps with reducing wastage. Simple example, we met yesterday with a global brand. They sell pet food. They don't really know when they're delivering media campaigns if you have a pet, right? Clearly, retail data is a bit of an obvious and easy way for them to solve that problem, right? So if you've never bought pet food before, it's unlikely that I'm going to convince you to start buying pet food. So I think those kind of things, plus as more retailers do this, it makes it easier for other retailers to do similar things. Got it. Uh, In the world where there were third-party cookies, was 
was it not possible to optimize based on conversion? And what kind of data from a conversion perspective was available if it wasn't for commerce transaction data? So for sure, some CPGs and some advertisers um, sell some products through their own websites that they could then track transactions for. But the vast majority of sales are happening in retailers, right? And they, as a CPG, don't have direct access to that data. So historically, they would have been optimizing um, towards maybe brand lift. It could be based on an MMM model, which is where you try and, through time series, try and see if you spend a bit more in this week, sales increase. Um, but it was all a little bit disconnected from actual real, this pseudonymous user X saw an ad, and then a week later, they went in store and did something. Understood. So with retail data now, certainly from a conversion perspective, there's a lot more to optimize for. Many retailers mm -hmm. are approached these days for data partnerships because of what we just discussed, that data is invaluable when it comes to both identifying the right users, but also from a measurement perspective. So they're being approached for data partnerships, both by demand side platforms like the Trade Desk, but also from a lot of clean room companies i'd love if you can give us a bit of overview on what are actually the similarities and differences when it comes to data partnership with a dsp like trade desk versus a data partnership with a clean room provider yep it's a great question so the way i think about it is the dsp or demand side platform such as trade desk is the activation layer where optimization and targeting happens now in the case of trade desk we also have a bunch of AI and analytics and insights and audience curation that happens as well. Not all DSPs have that richness. So I guess the, the single truth of a DSP is that it's where campaigns get delivered, right? So it's where you put in a campaign, type in a budget and set it live. It's also for that reason in the DSP where data control is most important. So we're talking a minute about clean rooms and often those clean rooms will talk about data control, but actually it's the DSP where you need to make sure that data is only being used by the people you want it to be used by for as long as you want it to be used and for the purpose that you want it to be used. So I would say the, the DSP is also where control is implemented. Mm. Um, so that's DSP. And again, they do more trade just does a, a lot of stuff actually that bleeds into kind of DMP and analytics, but the core piece is optimization and targeting. In my mind, clear rooms are, where data collaboration happens, right? So if you have two companies who want to work together with data in some way, but are restricted from sending data directly to one another, they can both put their data into this clean room environment. And then there are controls around how that data can be merged and combined. So often that's where analytics would happen. Um, so a sales lift measurement within a retail context. Mm. The use case is really around analytics and merging and collaboration. It's not about activation. Got it. Thanks for the clarification. But I think there's a part here that gets a bit confusing on the activation side, mm -hmm. which is clean rooms also talk about how, with the data available, they can help with audience building as one of the use yeah. cases. Um, and of course, those audiences eventually get activated through a DSP like the Trade Desk. Um, but that's audience building is also a proposition that a trade desk would say it has. If I'm a retailer assessing yeah. this use case, like how should I think about, um, should I go with a 
DSP data partnership? Should I go with a clean room data partnership? Given both are saying they can help me with audience building uh, and the activation of that audience. So audience building happens in both places. I think the answer to the question of when you should use what, I think is really very much case by case. For sure, if you want to combine data with other parties, a clean room can really help, right? So what we used to do, at least a live ramp, was X wants to work with retailer Y, and they want to build an audience of, let's say, people who are in the CPG's first party audience, but aren't buying anything in store. So to build that audience, you need to build data, bring data together, and that's where a clean room can help. Activation is where a camp, where data is applied or activated, not where the audience is built. That could happen in either place. But I don't think I have a very clean answer for you on exactly when to use which. Um, once a retailer has started a partnership with the trade desk, what do they need to get going from a technical perspective? There's broadly speaking two ways that we can can work with retailers. So option one is what we call a code on page. We put a tag onto the e-commerce part of a retailer's web page that collects data. And then in the trade desk platform, we build the audiences, right? So we have a, a, a feed of data coming in. And then in the trade desk platform, the retailer has control over, I want to build my pet food category. Mm. Um, and the retailer then has control over which advertiser can access that data. When we say use data for targeting, in the case of trade desk, it means you're ticking a box to turn on targeting, but you don't get the data yourself. So that's code on page. That's a really good solution where a retailer hasn't got or hasn't invested in their own DMP or clean room or audience building technology. Right? Um, option two is where retailer builds audiences, prepares data in their own system, and then sends that data to Trade Desk via API. And then they become available in the platform. But it's effectively either we tag the page and build the audiences in the platform, or you build the stuff in, in the retailer's environment and then send it through to us. I think the option one of tag on page seems like a very quick way to get started, especially if you're a retailer whose data is all over the place. But presuming you don't have access to a lot of historic data, you have to almost start building from scratch. And how would you do it if the retailer is predominantly having a lot of sales in store? So then you'd revert to option two. Mm -hmm. Within option two, if retailers wanted to, they can load... Uh, historic data as well through so it doesn't have to be kind of from that point forwards but yes you can't you can't put a tag on a till in store but you're exactly right o option one is basically the the easy place to start and I, one thing i would say about retailers and this is maybe interesting for brands listening they usually will start small and then grow from there and that is for reasons of governance and rightly people wanting to start small and see what the commercial opportunity is before they go kind of all in. So quite often we see people start with option one, build the business case, and then they will upgrade the, the integration if you like to option two. That resonates a lot because retailers are learning a lot of the early steps in this area. So starting small and learning what they need to set up from a data governance perspective, uh, including changes on the website, right? Like you have to adopt your cookie consent forms um, two other questions on this, Tim, and I think I'm 
I'm satisfying my own intellectual curiosity here as much as I'm adding value to others. One, with the tag on the page, I guess the other benefit is you get data very quickly, or basically as soon as an event happens, which you don't get with, with the second option. So is there, therefore, a period of time, uh, a cadence during which the retailer needs to constantly upload data sets? And with tag on page, do you get all data or do you only get uh, interaction data, but not conversion data? So on on the kind of data frequency and kind of look back, there's no reason actually you can't. And in fact, we do have retailers who send us data daily on option two. In my experience, usually a daily update is enough, right? I haven't had brands ask yet. Yeah, I want to target people that have bought toothpaste in the last three hours. So you're right, code on page obviously provides it as as the events happen, but we have retailers using APIs on a daily basis. In fact, I think they can send it technically. They could send it every 10 minutes if they wanted to through the API. And then on the second question, so the code on page, you can also send search, browse, add to basket, purchase. So you can send all of those things. And actually, when you send transaction data, retailers can also send like metadata associated with that transaction. So in particular, they can send, was this user new to brand or new to category, which is something we get asked for a lot. Retailers can also load in stock levels as well. So if you're a brand running like a retailer-centric campaign, which was pointing at a sale in a particular retailer, we can actually ingest stock level and then kind of reflect that on audience targeting as well. Yeah, I think it's very helpful for the brand, certainly, because... We've seen this happen in, in my previous experience where campaigns are running, but it points to products that are out of stock, which is not great for the advertiser or for the customer. From a retailer perspective, what controls do they look for when someone's using their audience data? And the reason I'm asking is, can a brand use retailer audience data and run a campaign that points to another retailer's store? So generally, retailers would not allow that to happen. We have reporting in the platform that can help manage that. And are there other controls that retailers look for when they provide their audience data? Uh, The other one we hear, which is harder to enforce, actually, is uh, like co-branded creative. So let's use my example of pet food. So pet food brand is targeting an audience of people who buy in the pet food category. In some cases, retailers will insist or want that creative to have their logo in it. So you have the pet food creative, and then there's a logo for the retailer in there as well. In other cases, it's the reverse. The retailer never wants their logo to appear in that creative. So those are handled more by business rules. It's something we're looking at actually enforcing. Are retailers able to see creatives of campaigns which use their audience data? If they wanted to, they could say, before I give you access to that audience, I want to see what your creative are. So that a little bit is business rule that exists retailer side. Got it. You've explained very well on how the partnership starts from a technical perspective. From a commercial perspective, what are the different go-to-market options that the retailer has once they've established a partnership with the trade desk? I'll try and group it into two, if you like. So The first option is where the retailer runs campaigns on behalf of the advertiser. 
So the retailer would be using the Trade Desk platform and they run campaigns on behalf of advertisers. So Tesco in the UK do this at the moment with Trade Desk. Tesco will set up a campaign for an advertiser and then they run it in their own account seat. That is what we call managed service. It's campaigns managed and executed by the retailer. The other general go-to-market positioning or strategy is what we call self-serve. And that is where the campaigns are run in the advertiser's own DSP account seat. So that would be my pet food advertiser again, logs into their own Trade Desk account. They go into the audience DMP page and they tick a box that says, I want to target the Tesco audience. And then the campaign is run actually in the advertiser's account seat. So managed service has advantages. So firstly, not all brands have access to their own Trade Desk account seat in order to run campaigns in the first place. And also what we do see quite often is in the managed service model, because the data is always sitting in the retailer's account seat, there's often a richer or deeper data view available in that managed service world, at least initially, because for self-serve, there's a perception that the advertiser is accessing the data in their own account. So sometimes retailers don't want to make quite as much available. That definitely changes as people become comfortable. But today, at least, there are some managed service solutions where there's richer data in managed versus self-serve. And then the big advantage of self-serve is from the retailer perspective, it's very much almost like a passive income. So the way that we talk to retailers about this is once you've done the integration work, Trade Desk then handles all of the invoicing and contracting and billing. We provide the route to market to an advertiser. There's not a lot of work, operational work that retailer needs to do. That pet food brand doesn't need to go and have a new contract with the retailer. They just turn it on in the platform, it's discoverable, and the retailer just earns a data fee. So from a commercial perspective, there's a fee for every impression for targeting or some cases for measurement, which the retailer earns. And and in that route, in that self-serve route, if there are audiences from 10 retailers available, who pitches to a particular brand for using your newest retailer's data? Is it up to the brand to decide on their own? So Trade Desk is neutral in how we present data to market. So our view and one of our big differentiators versus other walled gardens is that we don't own our own data. We don't own our own media. We provide a marketplace where we're neutral. That said, we will also promote and inform people, users of the platform what data is available. But we would never cherry pick one retailer unless we have kind of AI or data-driven reasons to do that, because then it's still neutral, right? It's not like I've decided that for commercial reasons, I'm going to prefer this. So there is the advantage that self-serve doesn't require a retailer to do a lot of heavy lifting, plus most likely their incremental budgets coming in. But it's up to the brand how much they see in terms of value for particular retailer's data. Yeah, we're working on ways to make it easier for an advertiser, a brand to understand the value of data. So we kind of make it more discoverable. But yeah, you're right. The the point of self-serve really is providing an incremental low overhead revenue stream to retailers. We spoke about managed service, self-service when it comes to the trade desk. And some retailers I've seen actually end up doing a mix of both. But then it's one of the channels for them, right? Like they have all their on-site search, they have the open web through the trade desk. 
anyone doing offsite would also look at offsite from a meta perspective a google perspective all the walled garden channels and some retailers have ended up having an approach where there are maybe five channels with five different interfaces for advertisers and a whole lot of fragmentation from an advertiser perspective how do you see this fragmentation issue what can the industry do or is already doing to solve this yeah so we were looking at some research from iab and the uk retail media market is currently around 880 million sterling and today most of that is spent on these retail media network solutions where retailers are managing the campaign so that could be on site it could be off site mm-hmm. but the the self-serve pieces are growing a bit in some ways um, and you're quite right the way it works today is if you know if i was that pet food brand and i wanted to work with five different retailers i'd probably need five different contracts five different ios i would get back five different reports mm-hmm. that would have five different sets of metrics and even if the metrics were the same they might have different methodologies or attribution rules and i certainly can't do something like manage frequency across those five different things i can optimize in the sense of moving budget around but not any more granular than that Um, the big advantage of working through a dsp for the self-serve piece is that for those five retailers the experience is the same right so i'm my pet food brand i log in and I can tick the box for those five different retailers, my five different ad groups. The report I get back looks the same. The attribution window is actually defined by you as an advertiser. So you can decide. You can make it the same or you can make it different. And of course, you can then frequency cap and optimize in real time between those different uh, retail data sources. Makes sense. Tim, I'm going to shift gears, move towards the other part of the story, the advertisers, who we've already touched on a bit from a fragmentation perspective. But if I'm an advertiser, can I target overlapping audiences? One is I want to target audiences of two different retailers. But the second is I want to use a retailer and then use a third-party data set like an experience to enrich the data provided by the retailer. Is that possible? Yes, that's possible. I guess we wouldn't see it that that frequently because often it's the actually the retailer data set is is almost enough enough signal on its own. But yes, you could overlay it age and gender or something if you wanted to or first party data actually so you could do that as well got it and then for an advertiser except for audiences from retailers what other targeting options do they have in a post cookie world uh, yeah contextual audiences where we've seen a huge amount of growth mm-hmm. um, in particular contextual we've seen a lot of adoption on connected tvs we've actually seen more contextual providers emerge actually to to address that kind of market opportunity. Understood. And it's still early days because the cookie hasn't fully gone yet. But what are the benefits advertisers are seeing when they use retailer audience compared to the data premium or the incremental costs they pay to access such an audience? I think we should try and decouple cookie deprecation from retail data adoption. I think the two are linked, but we are seeing huge growth in retail data with cookies still existing. The benefits, you know, in terms of real results. So we just ran a campaign and we're about to publish a case study, but it showed ROAS improved 100%. So more than doubled over the course of four weeks. If you take a step back, it kind of intuitive, right? If I'm selling my pet food and I can really exclude people that don't have a pet, it's kind of not a huge surprise that we see those kind of performance increases. 
we're also working on product improvements to do incre more incremental work, actually, so we can actually look at real lift. The thing I would say on performance, when we're looking at ROAS, we shouldn't try and compare ROAS of a CTV top of funnel campaign to a sponsored search ad on retailer.com. So that we shouldn't expect the same performance before those things. And that, that's kind of a piece of education, I think, that needs to happen. So as we use retail data across full funnel, we need to understand that the, the value is driving people through the funnel. And we have omni-channel path to conversion analytics that shows that impact. But your headline ROAS you know, won't be comparable for various reasons. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. Um, I've already asked you a few detailed questions today. I have a few more. Mm -hmm. If I'm an advertiser and let's say I want to target people who have a pet for pet food, how do you as Trade Desk actually find that audience in the open web? This comes back actually to the identity piece we talked about a bit earlier. We at Trade Desk have the ability to match IDs to one another. So if we've received a cookie ID, we are able to match that to, say, a mobile device ID. And then the way it works technically is or an ad opportunity appears. The publisher says, puts it into the bid streams and says, hey, look, who wants to buy this ad? Who wants to take this ad slot and put an ad in it? And the user, the mobile ID is 1234. And Trade Desk can then match that back to the audience. Mm -hmm. The future-proof piece of this is identity solutions such as EUID, which is Trade Desk email-based identity. And that allows publishers and content creators to effectively surface their inventory with an ID, which can be connected to an email address. So it's all privacy safe. No one can actually see any of those email addresses, but it's underpinned by that identifier. And that then removes the reliance upon a third-party cookie. And that makes it usable across different channels, right? So if I'm logged in to a CTV environment with an email address, that can then be matched back to the retail data. So that's why this retail data being linked to an email is so important because it means in a future where we have an opt-in internet and content and owners and publishers are surfacing or using email-based IDs, we can tie everything together. Okay. Uh, very interesting. So you've been in the space for a reasonably long period, both at LiveRamp, now at TradeDesk. As you look back over the last couple of years, what have been some of your surprising learnings in this space that you didn't expect? Um, I think there's more, there's more fragmentation actually within the agencies and brands than I've had realized. It definitely seems like there are teams that just do the e-commerce piece and teams that are just doing the kind of branding piece. And because when we're talking about retail data, it's easy for that to be considered like an e-commerce solution. But actually, as we've talked about, it's really an omni-channel, full funnel, almost branding opportunity. So that was surprising that there's kind of fragmentation. Um, and then the other thing which I'm, I guess is a bit surprising is I think there's opportunity for CPGs to experiment and test more with this kind of data. So retailers generally are starting with a limited version of what they could be doing because they want to judge market demand. And if brands and CPGs don't test those toes in the water, to mix my metaphors, then that will send a signal to retailers that there isn't an opportunity. So I guess it's not so much what I'm surprised about, but I would love it if we at Trade Desk can take brands on a journey and CPGs on a journey to test and explore what's available now and then jointly grow the ecosystem. Because I genuinely believe that getting to a place a year from now 
where the biggest retailers globally have activated their data and made it available in a safe and secure way really is disruptive to the ecosystem and it will save a lot of people a lot of money on media wastage and will help a lot of retailers build a revenue stream so it really is a a win-win-win to use that terminology tim a big thanks to you for joining me and for satisfying some of my curiosities in this space my pleasure thank you very much